Good morning. I want to welcome you to Rivermont and invite you to turn in your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 25 as we continue our summer study on the life of David. Last week we saw how David entrusted himself and his future to the Lord and the Lord's care. He refused to take the shortcut to the throne by killing Saul and taking his life and taking the throne for himself. And you and I are challenged today to entrust our lives to the Lord who judges justly. As we rest in His provision, in His care, in His mercy, and His grace without grasping for ourselves. And in the very next chapter, 1 Samuel 25, which we'll look at today, David forgot the lesson he learned in the previous chapter. He and his men had been protecting this flock of sheep from uh, the attacks. They belonged to a wealthy farmer named Nabal. And that was a common customary thing for an army who was looking for something to do. They would protect the flocks of sheep. But Nabal forgot customs. And Nabal forgot his manners. And rather than thanking David and offering his men some provision, Nabal insulted them all. And it didn't go very well. David flew off the handle and he threatened to kill every last male in Nabal's family because of this slight of ungratefulness. That is until Abigail, Nabal's wife, stepped in To help David remember who God is and who he, David, is as a child of the king. I wonder if you or I ever need someone to step in and keep us from making a disastrous mistake in our anger. Hear how Abigail was an instrument in the hand of the Lord to save David from himself. We're going to pick up our story in verse 28 of 1 Samuel 25. This is Abigail speaking to David and she said, Please forgive the trespass of your servant. For the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house. Because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord. And evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living of the care of the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that He has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord working salvation Himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the truths that we find in it. We thank You that Your Spirit presses it deep within our hearts. And we ask that today You would open our eyes to see what You have for us. To call us back to be a people of humility and meekness rather than idolatry and anger. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have you ever lost it? Maybe I should ask instead, how recently have you lost it? Right? How many of you lost it this morning in getting ready to come to church? I mean, there's sometimes when we just lose our temper and we pitch such a fit and it, it's embarrassing. Maybe your anger comes out as yelling. Maybe your anger comes out as the silent treatment to someone else. Maybe it's through slander or gossip of someone. Maybe it, your anger is turned inward into shame and, and hatred of yourself. Have you ever been so angry that you get embarrassed at your behavior and you think and you say, you know, this is just not like me. This is just not like me at all. 
Well, our text today is given to us to be a little bit of a mirror so that we see ourselves in David enough to recognize that, well, it actually is like me. It actually is like me to lose my temper in anger. We found David, the man after God's heart, who had just just before used incredible restraint in the last chapter against Saul. Saul who was trying to kill him. But then in a, in a flash bang of anger, David's heart erupted by this slight of ungratefulness from this farmer named Nabal. The truth is that we may not want to see what is all too often true, that we are just like that. And we need to be rescued. The last chapter we saw how the Lord had to rescue David from Saul. And it was an amazing and a supernatural rescue. But now we see how the Lord had to rescue David from David. Just as He so often has to rescue you and me from you and me. And the tool in the Lord's hands as He rescues us from the hot burning of our anger is so often meekness in the life of another. It's a meek one who comes and steps into our lives as the tool of the Lord to rescue us from our anger. Well, where does our anger come from? There are lots of sources of anger, and we see some of them in the life of David in this chapter. In verse 2, we're introduced into a new character. His name is Nabal. He was a businessman. He was wealthy. He was rich. He had lots of property and sheep. And he was engaged in a very profitable shearing enterprise. After learning all these things about Nabal and his wealth, only then do we learn his name, that he was called Nabal, which is really funny, because Nabal means fool. How would you like to be named fool? This man was a fool because his name matched his character. He was described as harsh and as badly behaved in verse 3. Or another way to translate it was, he was hard and nasty. And that is in contrast to his wise and beautiful wife Abigail, as the episode's going to bear out. Nabal was this, this sheep herder, and he enjoyed the protection of his flock by David and his army in verse 4, as it was common in those days. That's what a shepherd king does, right? He protects the flock. And what would be expected in return would be some food or some wool as payment when the feast time comes, when shearing time comes. But as David and his men approach Nabal for some compensation at this time of feasting and shearing, the answer was not only no, but verse 10, Nabal essentially asks, who does David think that he is? He knew exactly who David was. He knew that he was the son of Jesse. But he's asking, who does this guy think he is? You all are a bunch of runaway slaves running from your masters in verse 10. He asks, shall I give my bread and my water and my food to runaway slaves like you? Of course not. It's not going to happen. It seems like maybe Nabal was away the day that his father taught the lesson on gratitude in their home. How would you respond? How would you respond if you had received such disrespect? When you felt like you had done a good job and someone owed you something and you felt slighted, how do you respond when someone in authority or someone who comes along you, even a peer, completely disrespects you and runs you down? Well, David thought there's only one way to deal with this. In verse 13, he says, the sword. 
That's the only way to deal with this ungrateful man, Nabal. The sword is mentioned three times in verse 13. It's like all he can think on his mind is sword, sword, sword. I've got to kill this guy. David's flash of anger went straight to violence, to using his sword to solve this problem with this fool, Nabal. But really, who was the fool? It was David. If you read this chapter straight through from chapter 24, when David was restrained from using his sword to to start a war with Saul, he didn't do it. But now he's about to start a war over this man who's ungrateful. David's anger boiled over and he was poised to send his men not only to kill Nabal who had insulted him, but he said in verse 22, he was going to kill every last man in Nabal's family. He wanted to extinguish this man's family line. The problem wasn't Nabal. The problem was David. The problem was his rage and his anger in his life. And David needed someone to rescue David from David. That was... What was his deeper problem? Now, there are times in our lives when our anger is justified. When anger is righteous. For example, when we're angry over injustice. When we're angry over abuse or oppression or some serious sin in which God's people are going to be hurt and it's an affront to the Lord. But other times, most of the time, our anger is not righteous and holy and justified. Most of the time, you and I, like David here, are angry because we didn't get what we thought someone owed us. Have you ever felt a flash of anger at at a boss who accused you of not doing what you should do? Or maybe it's anger at a spouse who didn't do for you what you expected them to do, especially in a time of need. Or maybe you feel this anger rise within you when someone disrupts your sense of peace or comfort. It's easy for anger to well up within our souls. But how do we tell the difference? How do we tell the difference between that righteous and holy anger and the anger that is more self-focused? Well, we see some hints in David as to how to tell the difference. First, it's our anger out of proportion. It's our anger out of proportion. Would anyone reasonably think that David should murder every male in Nabal's family simply because he had been disrespected? Simply because he had embarrassed David in front of his men? When our anger is out of proportion to an offense, let that be a sign that we are in sin in our anger. Another difference is when our anger is given with a desire to hurt. It certainly was true with David as he wanted to kill Nabal and his whole family. He would risk his men to pursue vengeance in quite a different way than the way he treated Saul in the chapter before. When our anger is on search of an opportunity to hurt, then you know it's sinful. Our desire to harm may not be physical. Perhaps it's emotional. Perhaps you want to use your words in order to harm, using your words to cut into someone and and cause them deep pain. Maybe you use your words or you use your presence or lack of your presence to hurt someone. Give them the cold shoulder. Give them the silent treatment. That's a response of anger. And it's designed to hurt more than anything else. We know our anger is sinful when it's out of proportion to the offense and when it has a desire to harm or hurt someone else. And thirdly, when it comes from an unrighteous source. What was the source of David's anger? 
his pride. Nabal had provoked David. He had embarrassed David in front of his soldiers. And while David, the true king who had been protecting Nabal's flock, came to him as a peer, Nabal rebuffed him. Nabal called him a name. Nabal said, you're like an escaped slave. And that enraged David to respond with an unholy quest for vengeance. I'll show you. I'll show you who has the power here. Whenever you feel the rise of anger within your soul, it's always healthy to take a step back and seek to track down where it's coming from. What's the source of the anger in my life? There are lots of places that can provoke anger. One of them may be when we feel like we're at the end of our rope and we feel powerless to do something. Certainly David felt pressured as his 600 men in the desert had been running from and they escaped Saul's army and they were looking for food. They were out of provisions. They, they could have taken some of Nabal's property. They could have stolen some of the sheep for food, but they didn't. Instead, as the provisions ran low, they sent some of the soldiers to the time of feast and asked, will you pay us? Will you offer us some food for the work that we've done for you? And none of it came. And David felt the burden of responsibility for his soldiers. He felt powerless to do anything to provide for them. And it came out as anger and rage. Where would the resources come from to care for his men? It caused him rage. That powerlessness may show up as anger in our lives too. Have you ever felt unable to do anything constructive about correcting a teen's behavior? And you just feel the anger well up within your soul because you're powerless to do anything. You can't change their heart and it makes you mad. You ever felt that way? Or how about an adult child's behavior that's trending to disaster and you feel powerless to do anything about it and it makes you mad? Or how about when children... When you feel unable, kids, to please someone, when you can't please your parents or you can't please your friends and you feel anger in your soul. It's a sense of powerlessness that's coming out as anger. And parents, you and I need to take a step back and watch and observe our children. Perhaps the anger that we see within them is the way we've provoked them when they feel powerless, when they feel unable to do anything constructive. Sometimes we feel the powerlessness when we're frustrated with an inability to change or anger over not being able to fix something or not being able to get any better. We feel that powerlessness and it leads us to rage. Sometimes our anger is provoked out of a source of feeling guilty and somebody's pointed out our guilt. Whenever we feel rage within, it's always worthwhile to ask whether internally we're guilty of the same thing that we dislike in someone else. It's always a very good question to ask when someone makes us angry, to ask, how am I just like this person who's provoking me to anger right now? Is there anything in them that I'm angry about because I'm really upset about that same thing in me? It's a source of anger in us. Sometimes being afraid comes out as anger. How many times, parents, when our children wander off and we're worried over their safety and we finally find them and they're okay, we feel anger within us. Do you ever feel that way? Yelling and lecturing and anger. Anger masks fear sometimes. Or perhaps, like David, the source of our anger can be in the toppling of an idol. 
whenever something we believe makes our life matter, whenever it's threatened or whenever it's taken away, we get angry. We get sinfully angry. Whenever someone or something interferes with our sense of satisfaction in life, we get angry. For example, here with David, his reputation had been tarnished by Nabal before his soldiers. And he was angry on account of that. His standing as the strong leader, the provider, had been shaken and it rose, drove him to sinful anger. Maybe you have the same thing within your own life. The way we see ourselves, if it gets criticized by someone, we get angry. If you view yourself as wise and yet someone calls you foolish, it may make you angry. If you perceive yourself as a hard worker and someone just hints that you might be lazy, it makes you angry. If you see yourself as a good housekeeper or a good parent or a good provider or a good counselor, you may feel sinful anger rise up within your soul when that sense of identity begins to be criticized. It's an idol. It's being toppled in our lives. Maybe it's the idol of control that gets toppled when our plans or our our organization is disrupted and we explode in anger. Friends, whenever we find ourselves angry, we would be wise to take a step back and consider the source. Is there any idol in my life that is being shaken? Any facet of my life in which I derive my identity that is not of being a child of God? And when we see that false identity, we are called to repent. That way our anger can be like a a, a dashboard light on our car, alerting us that there's something deeper going on, some deeper problem, something deeper in our lives over which we need to repent. You find anger in your soul, it can be a good gift to you to let you know something is off, there's some idol, there's some brokenness that is being challenged in my life. And the Lord would call me to repent and cast my life before Him. Maybe it's talking with a trusted friend is the way you're going to be able to tease out the motive of your heart and see if anger is related to some idolatrous motive. It can come from lots of places. And I would suspect that it comes from all of those places in our lives in different seasons. And the Lord would call us to step back and examine where we need to repent of our sinful anger. And so often, that antidote to anger in our lives is the gentle strength of meekness. It's the presence of someone else that the Lord sends into our lives with with meekness that can turn aside the anger that we find within our souls. Praise be to the Lord that He sent Abigail to save David from himself. He sent a woman of strength, a a woman of character to call him back to faithfulness. And the Lord does the same thing to you and to me. He uses us in one another's lives to call us back to faithfulness and save us from ourselves. You see in the text that there was a servant who was quick to go tell Abigail, Nabal's wife, of what had happened. He told Abigail in verse 15 that David's men had been good to Nabal. There was no reason for Nabal's slight of his of uh, uh, accusations against David. They protected the flock in verse 16. And David's anger would be thorough in verse 17. And then the servant says in verse 17, I'm telling you, Abigail, because nobody can talk to Nabal. He's a fool. He won't listen to anybody. So we're telling you, Abigail, would you do something 
to prevent this disaster from coming upon your home. And Abigail responded. She approached David in verse 23 as an emissary of peace and meekness because Abigail was the Lord's agent to keep David from making a disastrous mistake that would wreck his entire kingdom. When you hear me suggest that Abigail came in meekness, maybe that confuses you a little bit. Perhaps you equate meekness with timidity or weakness. But what the Bible means when it talks about weakness or shows a character of meekness, it is the work of God's Spirit that that is a strong thing. Because meekness in the Scriptures is when our strength is used to benefit someone else. That's what biblical meekness is. Abigail used her courage. She used her strength to benefit not only herself and her family, but also to benefit David. That was a courageous meekness. How was that meekness used to turn aside David's anger? How was it used when someone comes to us in meekness to turn aside our anger? Well, first, through Abigail, the Lord demonstrated that David wasn't by himself. He wasn't all alone. That is such a good gift of the Lord when He sends us a friend, when He sends us a fellow believer, sends us a counselor to come alongside us and show us you are not alone in this trap of anger. Someone else will come along and help. Abigail was the instrument of the Spirit's hand to save David from himself. It was that intervention that kept David from turning into Saul. From being the kind of king that that murders in rage and slaughters entire villages of people. It was the Lord's presence through Abigail that, that called David back to himself. But also, meekness turns aside anger by reminding us of the promises of God. Reminding us that we don't have to grasp for ourselves, but we can trust in what the Lord has provided. In verses 28 and 30, Abigail reminded David of the promises of God that he would be king. And just as he wasn't to take vengeance into his hand and grasp the kingdom from Saul, so also he didn't need to strike out at this farmer's affront in his life. He needed to have his eyes opened by this strong and and meek and a person who was not self-assertive so that David could remember God's promises and God's blessings and God's grace. She was used as the Spirit's tool to open eyes that were blinded in rage by reminding David of who God is and reminding David of who he is. That he was a child of the promise and he could live like it. When we feel like we are lacking, we need a friend to come and remind us of the promises of God that are yes and amen. That He gives us all that we need for life and godliness. A friend can come in meekness to help us turn aside our anger and our disappointment. We also see that David's anger was turned aside by the meekness of Abigail as she appealed to his conscience. Look at verse 30. When the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that He has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or my Lord for working salvation for Himself. She's saying, David, you don't want blood on your hands as you seek to rule for God, do you? You don't want to be that kind of king. 
You're caught in, in a rage that insists on being right in the eyes of men. But Abigail called David to see that it is far better to be holy before the Lord than it is to look and appear right before men. It's far better to be holy and humble before the Lord than it is to appear strong and a provider before other men. She appealed to David's conscience and what he knew of the Lord and what he knew of the Lord's work within his own soul. How wise and strong of Abigail to serve as the voice of the Lord here, reminding David of his presence, reminding David of his promises, and reminding David of who he is before the Lord. And then in verses 32 to 35, we see that David heard her. He counted her as God's own messenger to call him back from the brink of disaster. I wonder who it is in your life that you listen to. Who is it in my life that can come to me when my anger is burning hot? That can come in meekness and in courage and in strength to call me back to holiness. Who is it in your life that you are willing to hear in the depth of your anger and your frustration and your powerlessness? Who is the Lord put in your life as a tool to rescue you from yourself? Who might it be? We all need a strong and a meek Abigail in our lives. You've heard me say it before that Growing in Christ-likeness, growing in holiness is a team sport. We need each other. We need each other if we're going to step back from idolatry, if we're going to step back from our anger. And how gracious of the Lord's providence to send exactly who we need when we need it. But you know as well as I do that sometimes that love is very difficult to receive. Sometimes the one who approaches us as the instrument for God's holiness... Even when they come to us in meekness, we want to punch them in the nose, don't we? Sometimes someone comes to speak to us about our anger and we want to turn the force of all that anger onto the person in front of us. We need the Lord to give us a better Abigail to speak to our hard hearts and rescue us from ourselves. Ultimately, we need the perfectly meek Lord Jesus to enter into our lives and rescue us from ourselves. As Philippians 2 says, Jesus took the form of a servant. He was one full of meekness. He entered into our world not just to tell us the truth about ourselves, but to give His life in exchange for ours. He came to rescue us by taking the judgment on Himself of all of our anger and our idolatry. And by His work on the cross, He has freed us from that. And He gives us the faith to receive His righteousness and His life. He knows who we are and He pursues us in meekness. He loves us all the same because He knows we can't rescue ourselves. Left to ourselves, we're going to remain in that trap of anger and sin. And Jesus, at the cost of His blood, can free us. He alone sees the depth of our hearts and moves toward us in meekness. He comes after us in love, so much so that the Apostle Paul says that it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Surely the Lord Jesus comes to us in kindness and in meekness in the midst of our idolatry and our anger and our sin. And He says, I love you. We don't have to hide our hearts any longer. 
let us confess them before the Lord. Let us receive His cleansing, His, His forgiveness as He moves toward us in meekness. He has come after us as the perfectly meek Lord, but He hasn't only left us there. He's promised us His Spirit to be with us in the moment, to be a better Abigail. His Spirit to call us back to life when in the fury of our anger we are ready to, di- to cause disaster on the people around us. It is the Spirit that comes to us and reminds us that we're not alone to fight that anger in ourselves. It's the Spirit that reminds us of God's promises. That whatever we, we think we have to have now is not important. Because God gives us all that we need for life and godliness. He's given us His love. And it's the Spirit within us that, that reminds our conscience of who He's making us to be. We don't want to take that step to being the person full of rage. Lord Jesus has given us His own life on the cross and He has sent to us the Spirit to enable us to respond in humility when we're confronted with our anger and our rage. So I wonder about you and me this afternoon. In our homes all over Lynchburg, I would dare say that every one of us is going to have an opportunity to put this into practice. Whether it's a child or a spouse or a friend or a neighbor that provokes us to anger. Maybe it's going to be tomorrow when you show up at your workplace and someone does or says something that feels to you like a slight and the anger begins to rise within you. How are you going to respond? Let's ask the Lord Jesus, the meek one, who gave His life for us to remind us of the promises of God. What this person threatens to take away from me right now isn't of ultimate value before the eyes of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He has said that I am His beloved. I am His precious child. And He gives me all that I need. Whatever this person threatens isn't as important as that identity before the Lord. Let us also be reminded of the Spirit who resides within us to call us back to being the people He has made us to be. Maybe the Lord will send you a messenger to enable you to believe, enable you to hear, enable you to act as though holiness is better than appearing to be right. Are we able to do that? When your idol is threatened, when you feel at the end of your rope, when your circumstances are out of control, hear the voice of Christ calling to you today that He loves you and He's given His life for you and you can rest in Him. Let's pray. Father, we cast ourselves before You knowing that before this day is out, the sinful anger of our souls is going to flare. And we ask that by the power of the Spirit we would be reminded that we are not alone, but You are with us. And we would be reminded of Your promises that, that tell us we have an identity in belonging to You. And whatever idol that we have laid hold of is not as important as belonging to You. Help us by Your Spirit to be called back to the servants of the Lord whom You've made us to be. Appeal to our conscience. Help us, Lord, to walk with You when we are tempted in the days to come. And may we be instruments of meekness into the hand of this world 
where there is so much anger and frustration and powerlessness and rage, would you use us as your people as instruments of meekness that the world may see a Savior who loves? We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.